This is an Age of Sigma podcast, which may contain explicit language. Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Mortally Wounded podcast. I am your host, Chris Welfare, and joining me is my co-host, James Maybury. In this first episode, we're going to give a brief introduction to ourselves, um, how, how we got into the hobby, um, all the usual stuff, um, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things, painting projects, um, what's on your painting station at the moment, um, and then we're going to run through possible armies that we're thinking of running um, at the upcoming um, tournament at CanCon. So we'll just get started. Um, I got into the hobby probably when I was about 12, um, probably the normal route through um, interest in 40k, Got interested in fantasy about 14, um, played it all the way through, but only ever really played with friends locally, never played in games workshops or anything like that. And then wasn't really until just over two years ago when I moved out to Australia when I needed to kind of make some more friends um, and that sort of thing. Um, Warhammer was a big a big way into a new friendship group, really. So I started going to the, the local store in Sydney, and um, that's where I met James. And... Um, since the start of AOS, we've just kind of embraced it and become good friends through that. And um, I love a Warhammer and just playing everything. I play most armies. Um, my main army at the moment, I'm working on Stormcast Eternals. Um, and I'm sure we'll cover a bit more on that in some future episodes. Um, James, how about yourself? Um, yeah, like I, I first got into the hobby in, I think it was year seven in high school. So about 13, 12, 13. Um, <clears throat> being a big Lord of the Rings fan, I uh, was drawn to... The shiny, cool models I saw in a games workshop at Chatswood in Sydney. Um, yeah, I just love fantasy. I've always been a fantasy player, um, collector, um, and hobbyist. But um, yeah, sort of the first armies I, I tried out were um, like High Elves and Empire, and um, eventually found um, my calling with Britonia. So, big Bretonian fan, just love knights, love um, all the medieval sort of history and all that kind of stuff. And I, I love all that. Um, so, yeah, started collecting Bretonians. And then, you know, as, as we all did, as we got a bit older in our teens, um, you know, playing with toy soldiers and painting, collecting, uh, just wasn't as cool as going to parties and yeah, it meeting Yeah, it drops off a bit, doesn't it? It dropped yeah. off a fair bit there. But um, <laughs> I think that yeah, it's, that's happens to everyone, I think. But... Um, yeah, but sort of I kept kept my finger on the pulse um, after I drifted away. Um, and, yeah, throughout my 20s, always sort of checked in on Games Workshop website just to see what was new, what was happening, drop in every now and then for, you know, see what addition we're up to, something had always changed. But, um, yeah, it was kind of about three years ago I really uh, rediscovered it. Um, my then um, girlfriend, now my wife, um, she uh, encouraged me to get back into painting my models because you know, I found a, a box of them in the uh, in the attic and she goes, oh, you should get back into it. So, okay, all right. So ever since then, I've just gone gone for it. I think she's regretting it now. <laughs> well, but, um, she's an artist, isn't she? Yeah, so, she's um, an artist. So she gets it and she was wanting to encourage me to get back into a hobby or do something um, something else. And um, But yeah, so I just went all out with Bretonians. Um, was a little con- little concerned with the lead up to Age of Sigma, be- noting that Bretonians hadn't had a- an update since 2003. So I was a bit concerned about the future of the army at that time. But um, I started looking around at other systems or whatnot, uh, other options. But um, when Age of Sigma dropped, I got a brand new 
uh, battle tome for my Bretonians. Um, so I just took to it straight away. It was amazing. Um, just started gaming with Age of Sigma, forgot about everything else and just went for it and just kept hobbying, kept building my Bretonians. Um, that's the compendium list you're and, talking yeah, about. Oh, sorry. For those who aren't familiar, um, the Bretonians, um, they're from the old world and they're, it's basically knights and, um, peasants and medieval sort of style. Um, uh, they got Pegasuses, Pegasi, I should say. Pegasi, um, yeah. Uh, various other monsters and damsels who cast their magic and everything but um yeah they're one of the armies that have uh, been left behind with by the new um lore and stories of um the mortal realms that we currently see with the age of sigma but like you but, say they're yeah. completely playable and they're actually really good i think they've got the yeah. best rule set they've had in years oh so. yeah they're very strong very yeah as you know they're very strong on the charge um they really uh can obliterate units when you use them properly um but uh, trebuchets, everyone's friend. <laughs> those those bowmen quad shots. Oh, it's too many, oh, yeah, too bowmen, many yeah. units have been wiped out from that. Yeah, bowmen were like the you know the the new kids on the block. Everyone loved bowmen or hated them when they when they first dropped. But but um yeah. But uh, earlier this year, I decided to um, branch out and um, also with encouragement from my wife um, to look at doing something else. And so I started getting into into death. So Grand Alliance death army so i've built up a sizable um army uh, lots of zombies lots of skeletons vargeists i've got an arkin mongol um vampire lord and zombie dragon um you name it i've pretty much got all the models um and just been loving it loving love playing the death army so that's been my my main bag this year but i, I still venture back into bretonia from time to time and um yeah so that's basically where i'm at that's how I got into the hobby. Awesome. I think that's a good introduction. Hopefully everyone will agree. Um, so let's just go straight into our next section. Um, you just spoke about your death army there and that you've got most of the things. Um, I think I know you got something pretty big for death um, oh, yeah. o- over Christmas. So yeah. what what's on your painting station, James? <laughs> well, for Christmas, I luckily received from my friend Brent um, Nagash. Supreme Lord of the Undead. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's on, he'll be on my painting table very soon, so look out. Um, don't know whether or not I'll have him in time for CanCon, but he's definitely um, he's up there now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have one too who has been assembled for two years, <laughs> and that's as far as I've got. Yeah. I'm sure yours will be painted amazingly next week. Um, <laughs> well, I've got some time off, so we'll see. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, that's cool. Um what have I got on my painting station? A lot of Stormcast Eternals um, to try and finish off my Harbinger Chamber list, um, which is one of my lists for CanCon. Um, it did reasonably well at the recent tournament we went to in Brisbane the other month. Reason, um, reasonably well, yeah. Just took away first prize. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah doesn't was, go to his own horn. He hasn't got a herald or... It was, it was fun. <laughs> oh, God. oh, wait. No, I think that he does. You do have joke. a... <laughs> You do have a herald order. Oh, dear. Yes, okay. I do. Anyway, let's take out the yeah. horrible puns. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, finishing off my Harbinger Chamber. Um, that should have been done before the other tournament, but oh well. Um, that was partly finished. And then potentially trying to paint up a few new toys um, for a few lists that we've just been trying out today, actually. Mm. Um, yeah. They seem like they might have some legs in them, but... Um, maybe cover them off in another episode um in a bit more detail Mm. um so for now i think that takes us on to the next section in this section we're going to do so you want to play death 
Now, obviously, death is an entire grand alliance, so we're not going to focus on everything, and we appreciate there's lots of different possible builds. Obviously, Tomb Kings is a very specific build, for example, and can be very different to lots of other death armies. James has lots of elements of the Soul Blight army in his death lists, but his death lists are very much a mixed death list, so we'll be focusing on that in this section. Now, James is going to talk through one of his lists for Cancon, and whenever we do a spotlight on these sections, we're going to kind of review the list um, and explain how it competes in each of the phases. So, the hero phase, the movement phase, combat, that sort of thing, and then we'll kind of rate each of the armies. So, James, take it away. Cool, thanks, Chris. Um, okay, so sort of been trialing a 2000 point list today um, in, our, in our games. Um, basically, from the top, uh, we'll, I've got two vampire lords. Uh, one being the general. Uh, I'm going to give him a ruler of the knights for that five up um, mortal wound and wound save. So that's his command trait. That's his command trait. Yep. Yeah. And um, then also have the vampire lord on zombie dragon, not as the general this time, but I'll give him the cloak of mist and shadows. So um, just explain what that does for us. So basically, what that does is in the hero phase, he gets a bonus twelve inch move. Um, finishing three inches away from enemy models. So a free move, essentially, in the hero phase. And that's, that's once, correct, once, yeah. once per game, I think. Once per game, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't have everything. Um, but anyway, yeah, so then next, and just to fill out a bit of points, I, I put a um, can wraith in as well. Um, battle line is, I put two units of ten skeletons with swords and one mega zombie unit of 50, um, followed up with a... A um, corpse cart, six Fargeists, two Morgast Archai, and I think that was it, wasn't it? Yep, I think so. I think there's a Necromancer in there as well. Oh, yeah, and, and the Necromancer. Can't forget him. Um, okay, so I chose the Vampire Lord um, as uh, as the, the general because... And this has... is just a normal vampire, not the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. That's right, yeah. Just to... So I've, I've got the, the model with uh, the wing, so he's the guy with the one wing, so he can fly, so he's got a 10-inch move and, and fly, which is which is very handy. Um, and, okay, so in the magic phase, he's good because he can... Um, or the hero phase, I should say. Um, he's good because he confers his command ability... Which is um, Blood Feast, called Blood Feast, which gives plus one attack to all melee units of any death unit that he picks within fifteen inches. All melee attacks. Yeah, all melee attacks, yep. an extra one for each for each profile. So for one uh, unit within fifteen inches. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that's very powerful. Um, Especially ability. when you've got a unit of fifty zombies. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's fifty extra attacks. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, of course, with the Rule of the Night command trait, that five up um, ward save is very handy um, in a pinch. So when we say ward save, we just mean yeah, save so against yeah, everything. Um, yeah, so when he when he suffers a mortal wound or a wound, he can save that with a five plus uh, roll of the dice. And he confers that in a 10-inch bubble to all units within range of him? Yes. Yep, that's it. Um Okay, so yeah, that's his. He's good, good in that way. In the he's got a spell which is uh, spirit blight. So if he's in range, he can cast it onto um, an enemy unit, which minuses one attack from each of their melee weapons. Um, but they have to be within range of that spell. So it's yeah, not so good in the earlier parts of the game, but better as you get closer in. 
um, it can really reduce the effectiveness of those bigger models uh, that have lots of attacks. Um, so he's very he's a good all rounder, isn't he? So he's giving yeah. he's quite survivable with that five up extra save, which he yeah. passes off to nearby units. Yeah, and then he can also turn the tide in combats, can't he? Because he's with his command ability, he's giving additional attacks to your units, and then with his spell, he's taking attacks away from enemy units. So you're really kind of yeah. putting the odds in your favor, I guess. Yeah, that's it. No, he's and he's making them the units around him quite quite resilient as well. Um, so he's he also he's also a bit of a combat beast. So he's got got no shooting, so that's fine. But he'll in the combat phase, he's got four attacks, three hitting on threes, wounding on threes, and he does D three damage. Uh, and he's got one, some rend in there, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, minus so one rend, yeah. Always good. Um, so, yeah, he's, he can fend for himself pretty well um, and, as, and he's a great support character, great all-rounder character. Um, where he falls down is he has a four-up save, but you can buff him um, up with a mystic shield, um, which, yeah, which... Yeah, and he's, he's small, so yeah, he's, got he's easy wounds. to get in cover. Yeah, you can put him in cover, and because he can fly, he can avoid those. He can put himself in good places. Um, yeah. He can get he can get cover. Um, but like you say, he's he's your general, but you've chosen not to give him an artifact as well as a command trait. So do you want to explain kind of what your decision was around that, and go into some detail about what that artifact does? The cloak of mist and shadows on your vampire lord on zombie dragon does. Sure. Um, so yeah, like it seems to be the trend that um, people like to put their artifacts on their general as well. Um, but I figure, well, he's already got that extra special effect from the, his um, command ability. Um, sorry, from his uh, yeah, command trait, I should say. Um, so I gave the Cloak of Mist and Shadows to the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, which is the big guy, uh, because he can essentially, you can use that cloak in the hero phase. He can go ahead um, towards the enemy 12 inches, then in the movement phase, he can move up to another 14 inches. So you can essentially just throw him in um, and get a first turn charge. Turn one, you're moving 26 inches. Mm. So even if you if you put him on your 12-inch deployment zone, you're 38 inches across, essentially. So even if yeah. your opponent backboard edges, you're only 10 inches away from that. So, you, yeah, you're going to be looking at an average charge of yeah. three. <laughs> and because he's um, he's got 14 wounds as well, so... He's pretty survivable, and he has what's called the the blood chalice, which um, both like all vampires have that. Um, so it's a once per game ability. They can um, restore uh, d six wounds. Um, really strong. So it's really strong. So for example, in the game we just played, um, Chris had some strong units, which we'll talk about um, later. But uh, he was able to get five wounds off the the vampire lord before I even moved him. Um, but I was able to quickly just heal them up in my next hero phase. So conveniently he was, rolled a five. Conveniently rolled a five, so that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I was able to use the cloak, get him right up, and he charged straight into um, Chris's dragon and into his um, uh, liberators. Yep. And was able, he just he just stuck around there for, the, for straight, a couple more straight turns. into my objective. Yeah, straight into the objectives. Yep. Denied Chris the points, um, etc., and was able to then follow up with a another charge from the, the zombie horde. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so basically that's... So that's what you use him for. That's what you use him He's for. He's not yeah. your general, so you don't worry as much about Yeah, you don't worry about dying. losing the command trait. So um, I was, yeah, keeping... I was able to keep the vampire lord, um, who wasn't on the dragon, back. 
to support and provide that f- that five plus deathless minions save. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So going down the list, I used my other vampire lord to be. Uh, he was on my left flank, um, basically just giving that deathless minions um, six up um, save on my left flank, and also there to provide some um, combat support when needed. Um, won't go into much more detail about that because we've already discussed Vampire Lord. Um, Canwraith. Canwraith's uh, such a, a handy little hero to have because they confer that Deathless Minions save. Um, they ignore Rend. They've got four wounds. Um, three attacks, hitting on fours, but um, wounding on threes. And they have Rend, minus one Rend, and they do two damage apiece. So. And, that, and that hitting on fours is re-rollable when you're attacking a unit of five or more models. That's right, yeah. He's better He's better used against infantry units or models that have more than five. Uh, so units have more than five models. So, But like you say, he's he's a hero, so he confers mm. your Deathless Minions save bubble, so you can stretch yeah. it out further. He's 60 points, so he's cheap as chips. He's yeah. a hero, so for three places of power, it allows you to compete. And he ignores Rend, so he's great against models that just have one kind of big, powerful attack or yeah. a couple... combined with your vampire lord where you're spirit blighting them and reducing their number of attacks Mm. it's a really really good little combination there yeah so uh, they held down the the vampire lord and the canwraith held down the left flank uh, with a couple of units of skeleton warriors whilst on my right flank I had the horde of zombies um, backed up by the necromancer vampire lord vampire lord and zombie dragon and morgas archai Um, okay so necromancer next up fantastic unit We've had a bit of debate over some of his abilities, but you know, it's <laughs> if, uh, so if anyone you, has is referring to there is his ability to pass off yeah. uh, wounds onto friendly units because the debate is whether he's allowed to take his own deathless minion save and then once he fails that, decide to pass off the wounds to another unit, which then takes its own deathless minion save. We won't go into that now. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's not allowed or if it is allowed. It's very strong. Is it's all very I strong. Say. He's very resilient. So, um, in ma- in the hero phase, he has his spell is um, Van Hell's Dance Macabre, which he can cast onto units that have the zombie, mordant, or skeleton keywords. Um, so, if you really wanted to, you can cast him onto your vampire lord and zombie dragon because he has the zombie keyword. He's got people. the zombie keyword. So you're getting two pile ins, two pile in attacks in the combat phase. Um, for this particular game, um, I don't think I actually had a chance to get him off because I was near Mystical Terrain and he got befuddled and then he was out of range because he got left behind. And Anyway, that's another story, but uh, very strong spell when you can get it. <laughs> Especially on 50 zombies with yeah. two attacks each because of your command ability. Yeah, so I had um, in this particular game, we I had the 50 zombies with Blood Feast on them, so we had yeah two attacks per zombie, and if I'd ha- just had that Van Hells off, would have been yeah two attacks a zombie fun. fifty zombies because of all the buffs there yeah. with the corpse cart what hitting on twos wounding on threes mm. people very much underestimate yeah what fifty zombies can do and yep. it's it's not fun because they they just stick around don't they and just on the flip side as well with command abilities and generals um, if I decided to take the uh, vampire lord and zombie dragon as my um, as my general his ability dread knight. Um, Gives, he can give that to a unit to give them rerolls to hit. So I've played that recently where I've had 50 zombies 
hitting on twos with rerolls, um, etc. It's you can really make it, the zombies are a very powerful unit. We'll talk a bit more about the zombies when we get to them. But um, Necromancer, very resilient. He can confer wounds onto um, other units that are close by to him. Must be within three inches. Um, combat, no, he's not a combat sort of guy. Hits on a four. He's got one attack. The standard um, kind of wizard. Standard wizard attack. Four threes, minus one, D3. Yeah. Doesn't hit most of the time. You know, he's just, he's there. He, he's there to, to cast his spell. And um, Arcane Bolt, one wound, um, dragons off as well with that. Is needed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've we've run through the heroes yep. um, and kind of explained their role. Um, yep. Your battle line units. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your 50 zombies, I think that's probably the main one to go into in a bit of yeah. detail yep. um, because it's it's probably not something you see very often, 50. Um, a mm. lot of people, certainly that I've seen, generally are just taking 10s to fulfill their battle line requirement. Mm. Um, I think your two units of 10 skeletons are probably there for filling battle line. Um, so let's talk about the zombies and some of the things that you can do with 50 zombies. Yeah, cool. Right, well, so I'll just, I'll just continue this game as, uh, as the reference point. So, um, okay, so they've got a four-inch move, uh, which is not that fast, but um, I was able to run them across the board. Um, I got about, I think I got a pretty good um, Four run. or five, so Four they can five. move quick with a run. Yeah, you can move quick with a run, so it's not too bad, but... Um, but they have this uh, ability with their banner. So in your hero phase, you can um, bring back D6 models, um, which I used to my advantage at one point in the game. I was eight inches away eight from... Eight inches away, yep. Uh, and all I needed to do was get them within six inches because with the musician or the, the noisemaker, as it says on the <laughs> war scroll, um, they automatically um, charge six inches with the noisemaker. So that's a, um, I think that's what the musicians do for a lot of death units. Yeah, for the skeletons as well. They basically get a guaranteed six-inch charge, yeah. which is really, really strong. Yeah. So even with that four-inch move, you know if you're ten inches away mm. from someone, you're charging them. Yeah. Which is really strong. It was, um, yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's the payoff, I suppose, because they only move four inches. So, that, yeah, here you go. You can always charge six. So it kind of helps out with that, I think. But, um... Yeah, so what I did was I rolled, I think I rolled two for the the banner, so I was able to bring back two zombies, um, and I put them in front of the unit towards his model. So I got them within six, um, so I was basically automatically getting a charge um, for that turn, so um, So I was able to use that to my advantage. So what James is talking about there is that when the banner resurrects models, you... There's no restrictions on where you put those models other than keeping unit coherency. Yeah. So James had 48 zombies in a long line and then resurrected the two guys in the middle of the unit in front, one inch apart, to essentially push the front of his unit two inches closer towards me. Yeah. So that turned them from being eight inches away to actually being six inches away, guaranteeing that he got that charge in and then could use pylons to bring the rest of the unit in closer. Yeah. So it's just one really cool trick that you can do with a banner that made me regret killing two zombies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we got that charge and um, because I have, because I was fielding 50, okay, so on the war scroll, um, if you've got 30 or more models, you get plus three to your hits and to your wounds. So essentially they, they start on sixes. They start on sixes, um, 10 or more, it's, um, it's fives, um, 20 or more, it's fours. Um, and 30 or more, it's threes. 
So it's um, yeah, the the more you have, the better. And when you have a corpse cart backing them up, um, if you have a corpse cart within nine inches of their unit, then it gives them plus one to hit as well. So yeah, a big unit of zombies hitting on twos, wounding on threes, very strong. Buff them up with blood feast, two attacks each. Um, get and a van hell's pile in, yeah. Get a van hell's on them. Second pile in, like they're just. A meaty, tasty, choppy unit. And you just, you pull stuff down through weight of dice. Yeah, you? you just pull things down by weight of numbers um, and dice. And one thing I love is when you uh, slay a model, you roll a dice on a six, that model turns into a zombie. So you just and is keep added. adding to the unit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're very hard to shift. Like, they'll, they will stick around for your whole game, um, if not right up until, like, the last second last turn. Um, they'll stick around because they just keep, they grow them back. They can turn your enemy into zombies. Um, they're very fluffy. They're a lot of fun to play. Um, they play like how you'd expect zombies to. Yeah, exactly. They're, yeah. they're you, individually or at low numbers, they're, they're not a threat. Mm. But if there's a big horde of them, they, they will drag you down and yeah. you will become one of them. <laughs> one more thing I didn't mention, which I didn't actually apply in this game because I just put down a unit of 50, but um, as Chris touched on it before, but it was just... Um, yeah, if, if, you're, if you've got two separate units of zombies in the hero phase, if they're one inch uh, close to each other, you can merge into one big unit of zombies and gain the benefit of that. So very, um, very strong unit. The only thing with that is they can't exceed their maximum unit size, which is yes, 60. Yes, of course, which is 60. So yeah. it's, it's that uncommon. Was, that um, was in the, the FAQ, wasn't it? Yes, it's yeah. in the FAQ. Yeah. Um, there's still a bit of... Um, it's not quite clear yet whether yeah. you can actually merge zombies above their original starting size or not and yeah. whether that counts but we're not going to go into that in detail in this podcast because it's no. it's not clarified so we won't touch yeah. on it more than that's right that's food, a thing. food for thought so yeah. that's something that at the moment individual tournaments have to rule on yeah um at cancon i think it's it's allowed that you can merge yeah, as long as you it. never exceed 60 so that's right a unit of 50 is all good thanks clean <laughs> okay so we've talked about them um what's the only other two units, really, um, to talk about are the Archai um, mm-hmm. and the Vargeists. Okay. Oh, Archai. Archai. Morgast Archai. Where do I start? Nine-inch move. Um, they hit on threes, wound on threes, minus two rend, and they do th- three damage apiece. Um, they've got three attacks each. Um, so they've got... And they also have three-inch reach, which is really handy Yeah, three-inch reach. Uh, they've also... They've got four-up save normally. They've also got a... Five up, mortal wound save. Um, so very handy. Um, good bodyguards. And six wounds each. And yeah, six wounds each. So great bodyguards, great at clearing out infantry, great at clearing out anything really. If you can get them in there, if you don't, they don't get shot before they get there, um, then yeah, you can rely on them to to shift enemy units off, off the table. And they're summonable, yeah. aren't they? Yes, you can summon them, yeah. So quite often I've got a, another list that I run with Arkan the black arm, sometimes I'll summon the Morgast Archai ahead uh, just to get that extra reach, get them nine inches away and try and um, try and get a charge off with them. Um, even if I don't get a charge off, they're a threat right up in their face and it can mess with people's plans, which is great. And it, when, I know you didn't have Arcan in this list, but I know he's a heavy feature in most of your other lists because, yes. because of that. Because of his is, summoning, yeah. He's someone that you want behind yeah you want him to sit at 18 inches away and use his ranged magic as a support piece yeah so you need something ahead of him as a distraction and that's exactly what the archive do because you can't avoid mm. them yeah 
you have to you have to deal with them, otherwise they will deal with you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, each one of them has an output of nine damage potentially. Yeah, um, they can rely. You reliably see them do twelve, sometimes fifteen damage in a turn. I, yeah, sometimes you know everyone miffs their um, their rolls from time to time. The dice gods are fickle, but um, <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, they're a very not... reliable unit and tough to shift. Six wounds. And, yeah, their saves are good. If you can spare it, um, I recommend putting a, a Mystic Shield on them just to make them that a bit more uh, resilient because they will get targeted and they can, yeah, they will benefit from that Mystic Shield. But quite often you'll find you'll need to put that on 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 your heroes like your Vampire Lord, Zombie Dragon or on your General or, um, yeah, just it's very situational. But if you can spare it, definitely throw a Mystic on them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we've talked about those. We know you like those. I think. <laughs> I think though, you you like your Vargas even more. Yeah, my Vargas. I think are my favourite unit in uh, my Death Army at the moment. They've I, I run them. I run them in a unit of six. Um, they've got four wounds each, um, three attacks each. The Vargoyle, uh, which is their unit champion, um, does four attacks. Uh, they've got twelve inch move, so they're very fast. Um, and they fly, so you can. And avoid. they fly, so you don't have to worry about terrain or anything like that. You just go where you, you just put them where you want them. Um, yeah, hitting on threes, wounding on threes. They do minus one rend, and they do two damage a piece. So they just shred. They're consistent. They shred, and they consistently are kicking out the damage. Um, they've got four wins a piece, so they're fairly resi- resilient. Um, their save is a five up, so. Anything with rend will kind of will quickly get through them, if, especially with um, if they do multiple you know, multiple damage um, from their attacks. But again, um, you still got twenty four wounds in the unit though, yeah. which is which it's is a solid. lot. To, it's a lot to go through. I think if you had them in units of three, they die very quickly because you usually usually lose about three to four in a game. But there's always a, there's always some left who can still kick out damage. Like for example, one Vargeist in one in one moment in our game was able to do like six damage on your um, Luminarch, for example. Yeah. Which is like, what, how many wins in a Luminarch? It's like 14 11 wins, 11 wins. So, so it's half. like half in just from one Vargas can just half kill a Luminarch. Yeah. So, and when, you can, yeah. when you've got six in a unit, you can afford mm. to lose four. Yeah. And you can still put out that damage. I'm actually thinking about taking nine to CanCon, so... Oh, that's... A did unit someone just nine. give you three more, perhaps? Someone just gave me three Vargas for Christmas, so... I'm sorry, people. I don't, I don't know why... <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be a bit, that that's actually what's probably going to be on my table before Nagash so <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay cool so um we've talked about all of the units and the mm. kind of their individual strengths um do you want to just talk um briefly about what your usual kind of tactic is for the game obviously that is going to change for each scenario yeah um but generally what's the kind of the play style that you would use for those units um do you do you use blockers? Do you go heavy on one flank and, and that sort of thing? What's your normal tactics? Okay, well, generally um, what I try to do is use my battle line units as a screening unit in front of everything else. So I'll put a line as much as I can across right up on the 12-inch mark. I'll put put down my um, yeah my three battle line units. Um, then I'll deploy behind those units. Um, my characters and Vargas and Archai, etc. And everything flies, doesn't it? Um, everything behind flies, yeah, except with the exception of, I think one of the vampire lords in this list doesn't fly, um, and the necromancer. But um, your big damage dealers, your vampire lord on zombie dragon, yeah. your Morgast Archai, mm-hmm. your Vargeists, 
they all fly. So you can sit behind your wall of defense, yep. but you're ready to pop out and countercharge essentially. Yeah, which is what I what I did today. Um, so I was when the we played um, gift from the heavens. Gift from the heavens. So our respective um, meteorites came down in opposite ends of the table today. So um, I was able to just move up my skellies a bit and then. Um, Get my Vargas just popped over the top and got a charge off on uh, your uh, flame phoenix. Yes, um, and did a bit of damage there. Then your flame phoenix retreated over towards my objective. He did and burnt yeah. you on the way. And burnt me on the way. Took off, took out a model, I think. Yeah, took Killed out this one. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's just an example of them just popping over the top, getting a quick charge in, doing some damage. Then you can pop them back. Um, which I didn't because I got greedy and tried to kill the Luminarch, but that's another story. <laughs> I think it cost me the game in the end. But um, So let's just talk about what what that means in terms of the overall meta yep. and the game, um, in terms of building an army and things that it allows you to do and things that it... A strength that your army has, that a death army, say, has, that another army, say, destruction, that doesn't have... Mm. Just because your units fly. Yeah. Because you can block, you can use your cheap throwaway skeleton unit mm -hmm. to stop, say, a Stonehorn. Absolutely. I know at the moment people are terrified yeah. of Stonehorns and things like that. It can only charge things that, yeah. like, it can't move it can't over your models. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure, it can charge in, mm. and in fact has to charge in if it's in range at the end of its movement phase, can charge your unit of 10 skeletons that are worth 80 points and take them off. Your flying units behind are safe. And when it's your turn, you can fly over and yep. countercharge it and take it off, knowing you're immune to it charging you because you've got a wall. Yep, absolutely. And that's that's a key strength of the army, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like for, like for example, today, like the zombies on my right flank, I had my vampire lord just popped over the top, got that charge off. He had, but he, Then the zombies came in and charged, and there was just, just this melee on that side of the board, um... And it just worked perfectly. The, the strategy really showed its strength in that moment. Um, the grind took a few more turns, and uh, in the end, the Stormcast proved too strong, as they do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a ploy that worked, and I had, like that game was pretty um, was pretty funny because we're sitting there going, yeah, I've won, James has won. I've won it, and then last turn, of course. Yeah, it yeah. came down to it came down killing to like four zombies, I think. Yeah, um, so close. But in terms of that tactic, though, it's it's really strong. I think one thing that we didn't cover as well that you do by taking lots of characters and and units like that, oh, yeah. setting yeah. up along the back. Yeah, is in my list. I had something mm. that could teleport basically yeah. to a board edge. Yes. Um, and that was a threat to you that you knew about. So when you set up, you made sure that all of your units had yep. a six-inch gap between them, meaning mm -hmm. I couldn't fit. So I had to wait. Yeah. And then I had to charge in at not in the best location because I had to try and pin you. Yeah. But because of where you deployed, by having lots of characters and lots of drops and spacing them out properly, yeah. it meant that you controlled essentially where I could go or yeah. you restricted certain areas of the board where I couldn't go. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, and that's, that's the way you counter this, um, you know, what some people might consider as overpowered units or ways of playing like teleporting armies are yeah, a key. Teleporting, They're one of yeah. the things at the moment that 
it's something that's quite new to Warhammer, mm. um, and it's something that people are terrified of. Yeah, but that you can you can um, combat that simply by deploying smartly. Because most of the time they have to drop outside of nine inches, don't they? Most of the time, yeah. Which yeah. actually means you can place units eighteen inches apart. Mm-hmm. Because to be nine inches away from both of them, yeah. you can't sit in that middle gap. So actually, you don't need that many units to block off a huge amount of board space. Yeah, um, and that's something that I think you do really well with your Death Army. Yeah, well, I've I've um, learnt. You you play a Stormcast teleporting up. So yeah. <laughs> I've learnt. Um, yeah, over the over the um, year that we've been playing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I think the whole mechanic of learning to use your units as throwaway units and as blockers yeah. for to protect your things is something that it's a big part of the game yeah. in learning you can sacrifice units yeah. and a lot of units in your list you take purely to sacrifice yeah. don't be afraid of units dying or of models dying because if you use them correctly that's what they're for yeah and with death most of the time they come back anyway exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's the most forgiving army to do it with um, you, just, you must be ruthless because it's something I know you were really pleased with in the run up to um, RCGT, the Redland City um, Grand Tournament that we both went up to in Brisbane the other month. Yeah. Um, that locally there's a big Beast Claw Raiders Stonehorn Thunder Task list that has mm. been yeah. doing very well and destroying a lot. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think you came up against a, a pure Beast Claw list. And yes. Yeah. It was you, a... Well, just talk about it. What did you do? How did that game go? Okay. Um... Well, what sticks out from that game the most for me was um, yeah, use, just using that, employing that same tactic with um, putting my skeletons in front uh, with flying units behind. So I was able to get skellies across the board uh, in time to get a charge off on his stone horn, um, which managed to hold him there um, until uh, for pretty much the whole game. Um, he was about an inch, half an inch away from claiming that objective. But because I was able to hold him there with the skellies, he wiped out one unit of skellies, but I had another unit just behind ready just to charge it again, which I, which I charged, just pinned him again. Then I was able to come up with, um, <laughs> in that particular game, I had a Mongol on the right flank, which uh, managed to just eat its way across the, his back lines. Um, which made him yeah. feed the Mongol people, feed the Mongol. <laughs> uh, made its way across the, the back lines and um, eventually took out the stone horn, but um, not without a little bit of help from a vampire lord on the zombie dragon. Um, uh, in the centre I had, again, um, I had uh, I didn't have any zombies in this list, but I was using the skeletons to the same effect. I had skellies in front of Arkin in the centre, up, um, stopping the... Um, Mongol from getting in Vargas doing the same thing. Almost they're they're kind of very versatile in that you can use Vargas as a screening unit as well because they do have a lot of wounds for people to get through, um, but they also hit very hard. I wish I could take um, them as battle line, <laughs> but maybe uh, no, maybe battle time soul blight. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're wish listing though, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Vargas were able to fly to the top of the skellies um, and punch out the. Um, the Mourn Fang Cav, um, Necromancer took the um, objective on the right. Um, Arkin had the centre, was denying points um, to his Stonehorn on the left, and was just able to um, just eventually just grind out the army and, and destroy it. I tabled him, so um, 
that was against Liam. Liam, thanks for the game again. Really, it was a enjoyable, really enjoyable game. Um, it was a personal uh, victory for me uh, because uh, we have a gentleman in in our local scene who plays. Um, Beast Claw Raiders to great effect. It's not, it's not a pure Beast Claw. It's not pure, it? not pure he's Beast Claw. He's got some but, Savage Oryx in But there. he's a, a brilliant general and he knows how to use his army and he uses it well. Um, all, all, all credit to you, Matt. Um, but um, I have to say at RCG2 when I, I managed to table a Beast Claw Raiders army, it did make me realise that, hey, like uh, there, you can be beaten. And there is ways around it. you just got to do it and you've got to be smart about it. I think that's the thing. They're... They're outright more powerful than yeah. other units for their points. Yeah. I think a, a Frost Lord on Stonehorn is maybe 440 points. Same same points as yeah, a Vampire Lord, um, Zombie Dragon. Vampire Lord yeah. Zombie Dragon. Mm. I think the Stonehorn is probably in an outright combat more powerful, actually, than the Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon because they are so powerful all the time. They're damage mm. three with the Frost Lord, yeah. damage three with the Stonehorn, yeah. D3 with its tusks. They do mm. D6 more wounds on the charge. Yeah. But they're very easily neutered because they can't fly. All we have to do is just hold them in place somewhere with a cheap unit and back them up. Back up that cheap unit with another cheap unit if you can. Just All you have to do is just hold it there. You don't have to kill it. That's you exactly try. It. Give it a Give it a damn good try. Because <laughs> like, it's halving all its, all its damage anyway. So, but, but yeah, give it a damn good try. But um, sometimes it's not necessary to just uh, to kill units. Exactly. You can just, you can, if you can ignore a unit... Ignore it. Run away from it. Who cares? Play the objective game, if right? If it's slow, yeah, play the objectives. Yeah. If that unit's slow, for example, if you're playing against a Bastilladon, um, you, that's, well, it's you only... can just eat him in one go if you roll like James today. But Yeah. Or you can, yeah, it's what, a four-inch move? A bis- five. Five? Okay, so it's not, yeah, it's not that fast. But if you've got fast units, you can just, okay, bye. Yeah. And then it's not. It's going to take a while before it can get back in, in there and... Um, and do some damage. And I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Which I think both of us did in our games earlier is don't be afraid to flee from combat. No. Usually try and do it on when you're playing in a turn where you've taken the bottom of the turn because you know you've got a 50-50 chance on that priority roll that you'll win it and then because you've fleed from combat you won't be engaged so actually you can counter charge in or go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both of us did that today yeah. and it worked both times. We were able to get a unit out that wasn't in a good place Yep. and then got the double and were able to recharge that unit in. Yeah, um, did that with the Vargas today. And uh, what, what unit did you do yours with? Uh, my dragon. That's right, yep. yep. Um, yeah, it's a gamble. It's something you've got to really, if you want your gambit to pay off, you have to take risks sometimes. Um, just go for it. Yeah, cool. So that was a really good kind of overview of the army. Um, so I think we're just going to go through now, and it's something that we'll probably do as a main feature whenever we do a focus on an individual army, as we'll actually go through kind of the main phases of the game or the main areas of the game, and we're going to give that army a rank out of 10 for, for its performance. Yep. So, I mean, let's talk about um, hero phase then for your army out of 10. Uh, so for yeah, the hero phase for my particular list, uh, I'm going to give it a 7. Uh, mainly because I've got well, I've got Van Hells, which allows the zombies to pile in and attack twice. Yep. Uh, I've got Blood Feast Command Ability, which gives them two attacks, or gives you know if I want lots of attacks on the zombies, or if I need more attacks from my big hitters like my Archai, Vampire Lord, Zombie Dragon, or Vargeists. Because um, any death unit, so any it's, death it's unit flexible. Can benefit from that, so that that's a big plus. 
Um, so I've got a debuff spell from the Vampire Lords, um, which is the Spirit Blight minus one attack to an enemy unit or model. Um, and so then I've got access, to, of course, to Mystic Shield and Arcane Bolt. So basically I can use, I can cast every spell in that phase as well, on top of my command ability. So I'll give it a seven um, for the uh, movement phase. Yep. Um, I've given that a seven as well. Um, may seem a bit higher because I've got movement four zombies and skeletons. Um, that does let it down there, but where it makes it up for that is with their uh, musician, which gives them that um, guaranteed six-inch um, charge, which is very handy in a pinch. Um, then, yeah, of course, I've got um, decent movement on the archive, which is nine, um, nine inches. Vargas, 12 inches, so they're very fast. And, of course, the Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon... 14 inch move um, then I've got my vampire lord my flying horror uh, can move 10 inches so it's it's, it's it's got a bit it's I think it's a fairly well balanced in, in terms of movement so I gave it a seven yeah I think that's fair yeah. it's the fact that they all all your big main things they all fly yeah and they we, all we fly talked earlier how got good movement so it brings it up um, and it, it brings it down with the, the slower battle line but yeah so we, we talked yeah. earlier how the fly is just mm. a really strong thing to have yeah, absolutely. but it's not up there with the it doesn't quite have the full flexibility of yeah. the teleporting armies that are up there in the kind of the nines yeah, the I tens can't, I can't just sort of whisk my way through the forest and appear somewhere else for Sylvaneth or you can't yeah. drop <laughs> drop in lightning strike in like Stormcast yeah. so yep. um, yeah I think seven's a fair for score this, for this list but um, yeah and so uh, back into now into the combat phase shooting phase oh shooting phase I know oh, that's we right. gloss yep. over that yeah I always gloss over it because well I don't have any shooting I've got one shooting attack um, in this list which just comes from the uh, the zombie dragon, just the pestilential breath. Um, which isn't a bad shooting it's attack. It's a good shooting attack. It can auto can... hit big units and things yeah. like that. But yeah. as you say, it's what? It's nine inch range? Uh, yeah, it's only nine inches uh, range, but it does D6 damage when you get it through. Minus two rend. Uh, um, minus one on this minus, one, isn't it? One is it? I okay. think it's minus yeah. one for the, the soul blight vampire, uh, yeah, and it's yeah. minus three on the fleshier quartz version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's I gave it a one. Um, for that, just for that, it's got one attack, so I'll give it a one. Seems fair. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so combat, combat phase. Yeah, into combat. Um, gave that one a seven as well, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, very strong um, combat units with the Vargeists, the Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon, um, and with buffed up zombies, or any of my units really, I can buff them buff them up with the um the blood feast command and the archive as well um and the archive yeah very strong like reliably nine to fifteen damage when you get them stuck in so they're very very strong in those respects. yeah so um, you've got you've got multiple but, units that can fight well you've yeah. got a good mix of lots of guys just doing lots of attacks yeah. with no rend one damage for the lightly armored things or weight yeah. of numbers where things ignore rend but then you've also got the big hitters where you've mm. got your kind of minus two rend d6 damage attacks or minus two three damage yeah, yeah. Um, you've got a really good mix across across the unit and it's all your combat power is not at all focused in one place that's right um, and those units um, especially like with my battle line units are just fantastic at pinning units in place because they're just regrowing um, but that's going that's getting off the track a bit yeah so we've but, gone for a seven in the combat phase so yeah, battleshock phase. phase battleshock phase so um Bravery is high in Death Army, so we're giving that... Um, ten across the board, so... Yeah, ten across the board, and plus for every ten models in a unit. So at one stage I had, like, Bravery 15 zombies, um, so... Um, 
Yeah, what did we give that? It was a, a nine, a nine. I, think. Yeah. I think sounds about right. Because yeah. the only reason it's not the 10 really is that you don't have something like immunity to battle shock everywhere. Yeah, like I have to sacrifice that blood feast um, command ability to get um, like inspired presence. And in my games, actually, I, sh- I should probably actually use inspiring presence a lot more, especially on my zombies. It's um, the only unit you'd need to. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it's the payoff. Like it's either do I want the extra tax or do I want these models to stay? I think um, uh, that's something for me to think about more in my own games. And it's um, something that changes game to game, right? And yeah, at least the list is flexible. Yeah, yeah, it's flexible. So we'll give that a ten, uh, a nine. So, a nine. So that brings it up to a total of um, thirty-one out of fifty. So it's yeah, it's okay. It sounds all right. You know. It's yeah, not, it's in the it's in the higher part. Yeah. Of, of average, it's. Could use a bit of tweaking this list, but I'm pretty happy with it at the moment. Um, things that you know, with a bit more play testing, I think I probably might tweak a few things, like add three vargeists and add another Ooh. three unit of unit of nine vargeists, and maybe sacrifice um, sacrifice uh, something else there. Probably, and I think it'll probably be, be the zombie horde that will suffer from that, but yeah, we'll see. And I think that's the thing as well. Yeah. Saying thirty-one out of fifty, you're losing nine points in the shooting phase just mm. because yeah death doesn't have shooting unless you take Tomb Kings, really. Yeah. Um, and you're, I know Tomb Kings isn't really the kind of the army you're going into. Um, as no, an aesthetic, no, no. You, you much prefer the Soul Blight. So it's just, it's going to be a fundamental kind of weakness of the army. But yeah. you make up for it with strong movement, magic and combat phases. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, good. That's I think 31 out of 50 is a, a good mm. score. Um, certainly for a kind of starting off list. Um, and... I'm sure in a future episode we might be able to go into detail in maybe a second list at CanCon when that's formulated. Mm, um, yeah. But for now, I think that was a good section. I hope the listeners have enjoyed listening to it um, and maybe it's given them something to think about um, more with their armies. So, yeah, we'll see you in the next section. Okay, so we thought we'd just do a quick chat about the new Disciples of Zinch Battle Tome, which has come out. I think it's just gone up for pre-order today, actually, um, in Australia anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quite excited for one. I've always liked Zinch. I've got a fair bit of Zinch demons at home. Um, James, what about you? Yeah, Zinch is pretty cool. I think uh, I don't know much about him really. I know he's a Chaos God. I know his magic number is nine. He's the Lord of Change, so he's into warping stuff, um, fire, burning yeah, lots things. Of fire. It's lots of magic, really magic heavy. Um, I think one thing I really do appreciate about Zinch is the beautiful colour schemes that um, it's like a hobbyist dream sort of army. Yeah, it's, for it's painters. really colourful. I think it yeah. lets you go a bit crazy, doesn't it? Mm, I know yeah. Adam Elford's done his kind of kaleidoscope of Zinch. I think people can look at that mm. on Twitter, which is yeah. lots of dry brushing of going through the entire colour wheel, basically. So, yeah, it's quite cool. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the rules, we don't know much yet, obviously, yeah. apart from what, what we've seen from the uh, Warhammer live stream a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Um, sounds like they're going to be very interesting to play uh, the the whole thing of there being three kind of all three armies covered by one book or everything that can be marked of zinch but it's basically going to cover zinch mortals zinch yeah. arcanites and yeah. demons of zinch as well um which will be really cool um i've got quite a lot of demons but i've also got quite a lot of zinch yeah. kind of slaves to darkness chaos warriors and things like that so it'll be cool to be able to bring them in um the core mechanic of the fate dice or whatever it is, I think you... Yeah, that's right. I picked up on that on the Wyman TV. Um, I think it sounds like you roll nine dice at the start of the game and mm. just keep those dice scores to the side. Yeah. And then 
at any point you can pick and you choose can them just pick yeah. them i think there's nine yeah. different things you can use them for yeah. like yeah. an armor save or a battle shock test or a mm. damage roll so um, he's the manipulator of fate so that kind of reflects that kind of um so yeah i can see it being great i mean yeah. especially in a demon army where actually those ones can be really useful for battle shock because you know you're going to get reinforcements and oh, yeah. add models when yeah. you need it and things like that or It'll let people play around with bigger units of, say, plague drones or anything like that. If you know you can get that one, you can go down to one model. And then if you've got a five or something sitting there for your D3, <laughs> you can just uh, yeah, know I'll you can it. get all of those up. Yeah. So that's going to be really fun. Um, some of the new units we've seen. Oh, the new Lord of Change. Yeah, tell me about it. That oh. model is amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. I will get one at some point. Um, yeah, I'm look, looking forward to seeing it in person as well because the photos are amazing, but it, it, you never really can fully appreciate a model till you see it in person. Yeah, and I mean it's being fully painted and everything. I'm looking forward to seeing some of them come around to the um, the social medias um, in the upcoming weeks and months. I think it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, I mean all of the new big kits have just they've just knocked them out of the park. Yeah, and this one just is no different. Doing it again, yeah. It'll be great to see the new rules as well that that brings because I've I think they're gonna do a new war scroll or something. Um. I know it makes a dual variant, so you can make Kairos Fate Weaver out of it as well, yes, which is quite yeah. cool. Yeah, I do um, pick that up, yeah. Uh, I'll probably make mine as a generic, because I've still got the old metal Kairos, and it's mm. okay. Um, I like those um, Arcanites on the discs. Yeah, the cool. Zangor Skyfires. Zangor Fires, Sky, yeah. What, yeah. They, they, I think, will be one of the cool. power units in the game. Really fast, um, from what Yeah, what I think I've they've seen. got a 16-inch move, flying yeah. move. They've got a 24-inch mm. bow yeah. that does... D3 damage, if you roll a 6 to hit, however, it just does D3 mortal wounds. You yeah. take them in units of 3, they're probably going to be about, I'm going to guess, 180 points because that's the standard points for kind of the higher in, elite infantry, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah they're probably going to have 4. Well, they might only have 3 wounds, I'm not sure. But I think they'll probably have a reasonably good armor save against stuff that doesn't fly anyway. The yeah. discs can actually put out a fair amount of damage. I think they've... I think I they're either D3 damage um, with oh, three okay. attacks or maybe D3 attacks and D3 damage. So okay. I can actually yeah. see them being really strong units. I mean, you've got a 40-inch threat range that mm. can be mortal wounds. Yeah. It's going to be really good, especially with the cool. amount of... They look amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but especially with the amount of um, buffs to hit rolls that Chaos can put out, mm. um, I think it'll be very... I mean, straight away, just take Lord of War. Yep. And you've got mortal wounds happening on fives to hit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to be a great unit. I think we're going to see a lot of them. The new sorcerers on disc as well look really cool. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see the rest of the models and what else is coming, to be honest. Mm. Um, I'm not as fussed about the Acolytes, to be honest. Um, from the Silver Tower, I was like, yeah, they're cool, but I don't see them. The Silver Tower rules, anyway, I don't think they're that great. So perhaps we'll see the rules get rewritten. I yeah, know the Zangors with the new, yeah. the new box set of Zangors. Yeah. They've got new weapon options and things like that. Yeah, I think there's two-handed weapons and stuff, so that will be interesting to see how they change. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, they, they tend to update the War Scrolls as they get their new, um, like they did with Bone Splitters. Yeah. They updated all the uh, Savage Orcs and everything, so I'd imagine the same would happen with Zinch. Yeah, and I can't wait for the Battalions as well, because I love the Battalions when yeah. it, the little things that are so tempting to force you to just take not go for Grand Alliance and just go for a specific thing like mm. pure Bone Splitters or pure Sylvaneth. I love that they make those battalions so powerful that it does tempt you to do that instead of just picking and choosing what you want. Because yeah. at the moment, Death Armies, you don't really see, say, any 
death armies that are pure soul blight or pure night haunts. It's always taking yeah. mixes because there's nothing there. They haven't got any of those battle times that yeah. with the battalions that kind of encourage you to just go down the pure kind of allegiance rule. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. So it would be cool to, to see what they do. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be awesome. I love Zinch and it's a big book. I think it's like 150 pages or something. And for the first time, we're going to see all the points in there. So we're not yeah. going to have to wait for a new General's Handbook. We're going to have um, the points in the tome. So. Can we say something of, about um, magic cards? Yeah, I didn't know that either. It looked like on the pre-order today, <clears throat> if you, for a limited time only anyway, if you pre-order mm. the book, you get some Zinch magic cards for free. So that's pretty cool. It'll be, see what's on that. Yeah, it'll be yeah. really handy. I mean, I can only assume it'll be like the old battle magic cards from 7th and 8th Ed, yeah. where... It'll just be the spells for the different laws because I think we've got two new laws coming in this new book as well: the law of change and the law of fate. Yes. So I think the law of change is only used by the demons yeah. of Zinch. Yes. And then the law of fate is used by the Arcanites and the mortals. Yeah. Um. So I think the law of change will be obviously about probably creating spawn and mortal wounds, and I think the yeah. law of fate will be much more subtle, probably playing with characteristic values and and that sort yeah. of things forcing bravery tests that sort of thing i reckon but um yeah. i just can't i can't wait to get my hands on the book and just read it it's going to be really interesting it's going to be sorry go on no you're right no, i was just just about to say like quite often um the subtle things make massive differences to the game definitely yeah i can so i'm really keen to see how these how these play out yeah, I mean, with CanCon coming up, mm. I think this book comes out a day before list submission, so it'll be really <laughs> interesting to see if anyone braves it and takes... Pumps one through. Takes <laughs> the Disciples of Zinch list to CanCon. <laughs> that would be awesome to see. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who have Zinch armies at the ready, just frothing at the mouth, yeah. waiting for this book to I drop. mean, I'm not going to lie, I've got some Zinch <laughs> stuff on a shelf that's painted that if, I, if it looks like I could pull together a list, maybe I'll go for it. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. I think anyway, that's probably all we know anyway at this stage for the for the Disciples of Zinch book. So I guess the next time we know, we'll just chat about when we've got the book in our hands and when we've had a chance to read it. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Looking forward to it. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Right. So we'll see you in the next section. Okay. So with the CanCon tournament coming up soon, we thought it might be a good idea to just do a general chat on, I guess, tournament etiquette and expectations and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, and we just talk about yeah i guess for people that maybe haven't been to a tournament before or even people that have the sorts of things that you should expect going to and how i guess you should behave and how you should prepare to to talk to i guess turn up to the tournament and um be a good sport yeah Hmm. so i guess the first one is obviously just go there to have fun yeah don't take don't take it too seriously it is a game remember after all it's a big it's a game it's a lot of fun we're there to have fun the age of sigma ethic or ethos i suppose you could say is um is about both players enjoying themselves and having a good time. I think that should be the main goal of every game. And at the end of the day, you've paid money to go to this weekend. Yeah. So you probably want to go have fun, right? So yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. At the end of the day, yes, people don't like to lose. If you do lose, you learn from it. Yeah. Any game you lose should be a learning experience yeah. because you did something wrong, clearly. To lose that game. Yeah. It so, makes you a better player over the longer term because you can all, you always take that knowledge with you to your next one until you lose that one. And, and also, <laughs> yeah. And also, <laughs> if you lose, it means your opponent's won and they, you, they should be able to enjoy that victory as well. Yeah, and right. no one likes yeah. to see their opponent go off in a strop or upset mm, because yeah. they've lost a game. Yeah. Because it brings down your win. So I guess that's the first one is 
just go and have fun and also be gracious in defeat and also in victory. Yeah. Um, Because if you win, it means your opponent's lost. So don't rub it in, but also don't be a bad loser if you do lose. Just learn from it. Yeah. Talk to your opponent. Say, what do you think I could have done differently? Especially if you're new to the game. Just go into the game kind of setting that expectation. You can almost use the games as a learning experience. Like, yes, it's a tournament, but you don't have to go there with the it's a tournament, I must win kind of attitude. You can just go to have fun. Yeah. Um, and play games and get experience. Meet new people. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. I mean, from our trip up to Brisbane the other month for RCGT, one of the best things about it was just meeting yeah. a load of people yep. that are really passionate into the hobby, seeing these great armies really cool models, getting to play some games, and then just chilling out in the evening and chatting more Warhammer and drinking and just eating and just having a laugh. Yeah, it's like one of those situations like where you all have a... Everyone's got a common interest. We've all got something we can talk about. So it just breaks down barriers, I think. And, yeah, you can really spark up um, friendships. You know, it's great. Yeah. Um, Cool. So I think the next one is perhaps on what you should do to prepare in terms of your army. So you should know your army fairly well. Like, you should know what your units do. You should know most of the things on your war scrolls. If you've got multiple spells and things like that, you should probably go with a list, have them planned out generally, what spells you're going to select, if you can select spells. Um, And the same thing with your magic items and your command traits is have a rough idea. Yes, they're going to change between each game because at CanCon you get to pick between each game at the start of each game. So, for example, Chaos, if you're a Chaos player, there's some items and command traits that only work against order. So if you had to write them on a list, you probably wouldn't pick them because your chances of fighting someone that isn't order are probably higher than fighting someone that is order. Absolutely. Yeah, same with Death, like with the Cursed Book artifact. Only works against non-death. Doesn't work against death. So, yeah, yeah I don't want to be taking that curse book. Exactly. If I'm playing death. So yeah. Whereas a lot of people now that the the ring of immortality has been ruled that it kind of costs reinforcement points to yeah. use, mm. you're now probably not going to see very many of those around. You and might see pe- on a vampire lord on foot or something. I think maybe but, something cheaper. But even yeah. then, I still, I think that given that, especially for death, unless you're taking flesh eaters, magic items are quite sparse because yeah. you don't have many battalions that's the problem yeah. yeah you're not probably going to spend it on something that you need to spend extra points on when you could probably just bring that thing in anyway via summoning yeah exactly so more people have started switching to things like the curse book and as you yeah. say it doesn't affect death units so the f- having that flexibility to select it before each game is really good yeah but you need to just think don't just go cool he's got curse book if you rock up against someone's playing death because you just wasted your item yeah um but it does let you use those items and command traits that are against order which you normally say for chaos yeah you don't pick them because you're probably like oh i probably wouldn't write this on my list but actually for those games where you do come up against order it's going to be really handy um so that's probably one of the things is just pre-plan yeah. Um, obviously, things like monsters where you've got kind of profiles and attacks that change as you get wounded. No one expects you to know that stuff off the off the top of your head. Exactly. You, yeah. you can look you can look at your chart for to check how many wounds. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But you should generally know your kind of your hits and your wounds, what your attacks are, yeah. what your armor save is, your move values for most of the stuff, if not all of your army, at least people won't expect you to know all of the other scrolls like in their army and they should explain that to you at the start of the game 
but you should be going into the game knowing your army at least as well as your opponent but probably better unless you come up against someone that plays a lot and plays a lot of different armies yeah and you're a beginner they might know more than you um so following on from that i guess the next point is rules disputes because they all happen they can be dealt with the right way and they can be dealt with the wrong way the right way to deal with them the first time a rules dispute comes up is you should definitely look it up in the book because it's the first time that two two players that probably have, don't know each other are disagreeing on a rule yeah. so you should look at the rule and see what it is regardless of one player saying oh i know my rule or not you just look it up you see what it is and if you feel like you want to challenge a rule because you think it might be something different then challenge it but what i would say is if you find in your game that you're starting to have quite a lot of rules disputes maybe one player is a newer player and they they don't know many of the rules maybe even in their own army if you know that yeah. army they might be doing stuff that just hang on a second that's not quite right you need to do X first before you can just roll that D three mortal wounds or yeah or whatever like I they mean, might not just un- they might be misunderstanding the rules they might not be doing it on purpose so you've got to keep that in the back of your mind as well uh, which comes back to the whole being gracious um, yes yeah. in in the in game um, I mean Sylvaneth for example I think there's a lot of well until recently with the new FAQ a lot of people probably would have been placing three wildwoods in a long line yes yes that's and you one. could challenge that if you knew that actually they were supposed to be all like within one inch of each other yeah. in a triangle mm. and that's the sort of thing where you can then when that comes up you can go to the faq or the rules and you check it and you go okay that's fine i think the thing to be aware of is when multiple challenges start happening because they do take time out of your game if yeah. you're constantly looking up rules and if you keep it being disputed or you're the person disputing rules if when you're looking up the rules one player seems to be right all of the time generally probably go with that player is more experienced and they know more and then if you were the person challenging them and they were right i'd probably suggest that you stop challenging them for the sake of the game because if they're right every time and you keep challenging them they're going to get frustrated with you because they're probably challenging you or or telling you that that's a rule because they probably know it a bit better than you. Yeah. Um, it's slowing down the game and and it's, yeah, it's not cool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I like to think of it not as an enforced rule, but I like to think of it in the way, similar to, say, challenges in tennis, where you have a number of challenges against the referee's call. And if you challenge and you're right, you retain the right to challenge again. But if you challenge and you're wrong, you've lost that challenge. Yeah. And that's kind of how I run it. If I was going to run, if I was going to challenge someone or someone was challenging me and it kept turning out that one player was right, if I was the person challenging my opponent and they were always right, after a couple, I'd probably just take their word for it because yeah. it looks like I'm getting it wrong and they know their army, so I'd just leave it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you're playing someone and they're new and it becomes quite quickly apparent that they actually don't quite know their army properly... Those sort, and they tell you something that could have quite a big impact on the game, you you should play the game properly. So you should just get to the point where you can say, look, sorry, but you you need to kind of just go back and learn your army a bit more. And yeah. hopefully mm-hmm. people will be receptive to that because at the end of the day, you're both trying to fit a game in. In two and a half hours, yeah. five turns each is quite challenging yeah. Um. anyway. And if someone's just always playing rules wrong and you're having to dispute them or... It's just not great. So that's why it really comes down to knowing your army and then just also learning to deal with rules disputes quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you want to get that snappy sort of playing 
playing style going where you just like you, you quickly roll your hits, you're rolling your wounds, you're, you're taking out your misses, like you're doing it all quick, it's moving along nice and fast. Um, yeah, and the game will flow better. Um, you'll get into that into that groove, and you'll both get into a groove together, which is awesome. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, and perfect little segue there onto point number four: dice rolling. Mm-hmm. Any dice that does not roll flat on the table, regardless of what it looks like, you should always treat as cocked and yeah. re-roll it. Don't be the person that when they roll a dice and it looks like a six, but it's sort of cocked goes, no, that's a six, that's fine. But when it's a one, re-rolls it. You need to just, if a dice is not flat on the table, you re-roll it. Yeah. A lot of people take uh, dice rolling um, uh, boards. Little boxes. Little boxes okay. and boards. Like, yeah, that's um, quite good. Which is, that's that can erase that altogether. Um, and they're quite cool. Um, um, and then the other thing is always take out your misses. Yes. So yeah. if you're rolling 20 dice, always just take out... A, Always take out your misses so that your opponent can see the hits that you're leaving on the table. It's so much easier to knock a dice when you're taking out hits and things like if you're picking up your hits, your opponent doesn't necessarily get a chance to see that that dice you picked up. And it's very easy, completely unintentionally, to pick up a three that you genuinely thought you saw as a four. Um, So it just it's good etiquette to, to let your opponent see those dice. And the way that that happens is you leave the hits on the table and you take out your misses. Yeah. Um, um, turn up to the games on time, ready to play. Yes. Have your army out and on the sideboard. So I'm not sure how big the tables will be at CanCon, but usually there's um, a bit of space where you can kind of put your army on the on the table ready to go. You can normally find um, a chair or a stool or something. Yeah, if not. or your, um, you know, your... Uh, Carry case, carry or, case something. or something like that. Have it ready. Have it out, ready to rumble. Um, Same with tokens. If you've got markers and tokens for your abilities for your army and things like that, yep. have them ready to go. Yep. Um, you don't want to have all your stuff in a box so that when they say mm-hmm. two and a half hours, go, you've got to take all your stuff out of a box and everything like that. Because yep. remember, deployment time comes out every two and a half hours. Yeah. And that can take a long time as well. Um, yep. And that's scenery, the... rolling for scenery effects as well. Um, yeah, it's all part of it. Like from the moment you you're both at the table is pretty much when the game starts. To or... be honest, once the draw has happened for me anyway, and I'm at that table with my opponent, hopefully they're there. I will roll up the scenery anyway before yeah. the allotted oh, yeah, time. Yeah. I will do as much prep as possible before to get they... the game rolling. Yeah, that's it. Before they officially mark it as go, like go now, sort of thing. Um, have it yeah, prepped as much as you can. Cool. I think on to the next point, mm. timekeeping. It's mm. two and a half hour game. You have five turns in that game. You should always be trying your best to play the game to give your opponent five turns as well as you having five turns. Yeah, there's nothing worse than finishing a game halfway through a turn. Um, or finishing a game on turn three. Especially when you know that you could have perhaps got the major or even got a minor. Um, every bit helps, every... Every turn is important. Um, Especially with the new way that a lot of these scenarios are scored, where you can auto-win in any turn from turn three, mm. or Gift from the Heavens, where you your Meteor, or their Meteor, gives you more victory points based on the turn round. So yeah. if your opponent gets up turns one and two, but you're playing an army that does well late game, and then your opponent plays quite slowly or they go off to the bar mid-game to go and get a drink and you lose time and you never reach those rounds four and five where you could have scored four points, five points and actually won the game. Mm. It's The game is supposed to be played as a five-turn game within two and a half hours. It's possible. That means each turn should take half an hour, if not less, 
which means each player should be finishing their turn within 15 minutes. So if you are taking an army that you're not comfortable with or that rolls loads and loads and loads of dice, bone split of people, we're looking at you. <laughs> doesn't mean don't take them, but just It means be, be ready. Yeah. Do whatever you can to speed that up. I know I've played against bone splitters. I help my opponent roll their dice. Yeah. They will roll the dice and I will help take out their misses for them to speed up the game. And it also gets you involved because otherwise you're just going to stand not doing anything for 10 minutes. Yeah. When you can help speed up the game, your opponent will see it as a good gesture on your half. And it just it just speeds the game along and it's good. But you need to be confident enough in your army that you yeah. can complete your turns within 15 minutes. And make snappy those your your snappy um tactical decisions. So you don't have, have the luxury to sit there and ponder and um and ah over what you're going to do for too long. Yeah. Um, by all means, definitely think, have, of course, I'm telling you not to think about what to do, but I mean, just like, um, it goes comes back to knowing your army and what you're capable of. And you should have a pretty good idea of how you're going to wield your army in each scenario beforehand. Like have a, have a game plan ready, have a, um, a strategy in place and execute it so you can... Do the do that turn in fifteen minutes and get the game done quickly and, and have a good game. Yeah, yeah. that's that's great. That leads on to another point, which is have a rough game plan. Yeah. In my in things your are mind. always going to go wrong. Like not every plan goes um, perfectly, and most of the time, you know, because it's it's a dice game. Luck. Yeah. Luck's a big thing too, but yeah, have if you've got that general thrust of an idea of what you're going to do, um, it'll most of the time it'll pay off and. And if you've got an army that has the flexibility to adapt and overcome, then you shouldn't have an issue with that. But I guess, yeah, the main point of what I'm trying to say is that make quick decisions, um, know your army and know what you can do quickly so you can move the game along. Yeah, I think the key to that is be present in the game. Mm, you should yes. not be standing there, not paying attention in Goblin your opponent's turn. Your buddy or something and... You should be planning your next turn <laughs> as your opponent has their turn. You should. The thing I can't stand is when you you play your turn, and it's your opponent's turn next, and they start the turn and go, "Oh, what happened? Oh, why is that model there?" Yeah, yeah. like Come you on, were man. here. You should be watching the table, and yeah. it just takes so much longer if they're then planning everything from the start of their turn. You can be planning your go roughly on what you want to do, and then as that turn pans out, you start changing plans in your head. But you should basically be able to start your turn pretty much going, okay, I know this guy's going to cast this spell, this person's going to move over here and yeah. shoot over there. So it's it's all about just planning, watching the board, knowing what you're doing, and just yeah, being present and doing everything you can to try and get that game finished in two and a half hours. Yeah. Because you should be playing it to five turns. I would even hazard to say, like, um, put your phone on silent and leave it in your pocket. Don't sit there and look at your phone or text your mate during the game. Yeah. But. Look at it if you're looking at war scrolls or yeah, rules. Yeah, I was about to, that's why I was just thinking, yeah, like, <laughs> you might have all your war scrolls on your phone, but yeah. But don't be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be present is the don't point. Don't be scrolling yeah. the internet. Don't be texting people. Use it to take photos. That's great. Everyone loves to see photos of games. You can write battle plans, like um, battle reports, sorry, if, if yeah. you want to do that sort of thing after your games. Um, but yeah, be basically just be present the whole time. You should be planning all the time on what's your next move and what's your overall strategy and where, what's your end goal and how you're going to get to it and adapting that as your opponent takes their turns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was a good chat. Is there anything else you can think of that's a key thing for people should be aware of? Um. Nothing's coming to mind at the moment, so okay. I'm sure it'll come to mind. 
Awesome. Soon. <laughs> right, well, we will see you in the next section then. So we just kind of finished that last section and carried on talking for a little bit. Um, and actually, we found we were talking about some stuff that we thought would be quite good um, in relation to filth. And I'm doing air quotes, but people can't see that. So we just thought we'd kind of talk about the whole concept of filth and I guess what that means for the hobby um, and in terms of army build and attitudes. So a lot of people recently have expressed that they don't really like using the term filth. And I think we agree with that because yeah. it has quite a negative connotation. If you rock up to a game, for example, and you lose or, and you just go, oh, yeah, but you took a filth list, it leaves your opponent with a bit of a sour taste in their mouth. And actually, every list that they've taken is completely legal and completely within the rules. So who are you to, I guess, turn around yeah. and say, I'm determining your list is what I would consider filth or broken or any of those kind of words you want to use? Yeah. When really... It just means that they've taken a, a comprehensive thought about list. A lot of the time, those lists get thrown around for the things that maybe have a bit of a, I'll say gimmick, or more of a trick, or a certain thing that they do. For example, Clan Sky, the double tunnelling kind of Goutfire Scorch coven, where mm. you tunnel up loads of Storm Fiends with Warp Fire Throwers. You can basically tunnel them up anywhere, yeah. and you mortal wound off. I've been on the receiving end of that army. It's, oh boy. But you've been on the receiving end of it. Yeah. And yes, you lost. But you don't call that army filth, do you? Because you know how to deal with it now. Yeah. Well, that's what I learned a big lesson on that day. So, yeah. And Absolutely. that's what we were discussing, right? Wasn't it? Is that mm -hmm. actually, I think you only really, people only call armies filth when they can't deal with it. Yeah. And actually, I think you need to turn around and look and take the onus on yourself for that decision. Because actually, it was your decision to take the list that you took that couldn't deal with that. Yeah. It's That's not right. that your opponent has taken something horrible. It's that you haven't taken something that can deal with that. Because yeah. I can guarantee any single list that any person can write, you can beat that list. Yeah. Especially when playing in, say, a tournament setting where there's six different scenarios. And each scenario requires something very different. So you need to be able to sometimes just reinforce two places say take and hold or three places of power you can only do it yeah. with heroes or blood and glory or border war you've got to hold four places so something like a skaven say tunneling goutfire scorch they can only really pop up in two places on the board yeah. so if they get brought up in any scenario where they've got to hold four places they're going to struggle yeah. and also it's a very short range army once they're up so if you've got an army where if you're doing, say, Border War, where you can start clocking up points from the start, you can just put a chaff unit, a unit that's very cheap, that you've just taken, that's, say, 100 points, you can put a unit on an objective, and you'll start scoring points. And unless they decide, I need to tunnel up to take off that unit to stop it scoring, they're just going to lose the game anyway, because you're racking up points with that cheap unit. You yeah. haven't got to commit anything more than that unit. Yeah. Then they tunnel up, take that unit off, sure, but then they're on the table. And once they're on the table, you can deal with them because they're yeah. very short range and it's actually very easy to take them apart. And if you spread them out, then all the more better for you. So, yeah, I think that's the key is it's look at your army. And again, as we've been talking in this episode about tournament expectations and things like that, it also leads on to you need to think about the list you have chosen to take to an event and think about what that means for whereabouts you should probably be placing 
in yeah. the tables. Yeah, don't have unrealistic expectations um, because guaranteed in a tournament environment, you're going to be facing these lists. They're going to be there. So if you're taking your, you know, your your fluffy list or whatever like that, you you can't expect to be at around, around the top tables. Um, you'd be probably some more mids to lower, but embrace that because you've chosen to take that. And if you're playing that level, more than likely you'll be matched against other people at that who are playing at that level as well. And you probably have more, you probably enjoy your game in games if you take that attitude. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, a tournament, there are always going to be people that go to a tournament just taking to a list yeah. to try and win. Yeah. Not just to win, but they are the people that are up at the upper ends that want to win a tournament. They've so the po- got a polished list. Yeah, they will spend a lot of time honing their list, yeah. going through, play planning testing. scenarios, play testing, thinking about all the possible stronger armies they could come up against and how they can deal with it. They've taken it up a notch, I suppose you could say. That is something that I did, for example, when yeah. we went to RCGT. I went to that event with the aim of... It would be nice to try and win it. I definitely went to try and win that event. And I wrote a list that I had thought through for a long time mm. and planned in my head against lots of different armies. I thought about the Sky list. I thought about every scenario, how I could beat that list yeah. until I was happy with, that I had a list that I felt could compete in every single scenario against any army I came up against. You had a very balanced list too. It, it has some tricks and it has some gimmicks, but it can flex. It can yeah. deal with anything, and but that was the like point. It wasn't like super duper character heavy, strong or anything. It was mainly battle line level sort of troops. Yeah, with your I battalions. mean, battalions. So you're able to deal with it. We'll cover my army in detail in probably the next episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, I took the Harbinger Chamber for Stormcast Eternals, which is basically the whole army is prosecutors, mm. which a unit of them is six wounds, three models, that. They're very easy to kill. Stormcast don't have good bravery, so they're quite easy to battle shock off, that sort of thing. So there was lots and lots of weaknesses. I have no resilience against mortal wounds at all. I came up against the Clan Skyr army with loads and loads of mortal wounds. Yeah. But I managed to beat it because of playing the scenario and playing flexibly yeah. that the army lets me do. Um, but that we'll talk more about that in a future episode. But the point yeah. is, I put a lot of prep into that mm-hmm. army going with the hopes that I was taking a list that I thought could win the event and it did I managed to win that but I had to spend a lot of money and a lot of time building that specific army and if you're someone that's not willing to do that and you just want to go you want to be able to play tournament play but you don't want to spend loads of money and you don't want to spend loads of time just buying models to have the ultimate list that's absolutely fine and that's great and I think that's what most people do but you have to know that you should expect to probably lose the matches where you get drawn against the people that have gone with those super honed lists trying to win the tournament. Yeah. But don't don't be negative against those people for doing that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the reason you've lost that game is down to your list more than theirs. Because no matter what they take, you can probably write a list that would beat it. Yeah. Like my Harbinger Chamber is so beatable. Easily. You just mm. need mortal wounds, range, that sort of thing. You can definitely beat it. If no one's coming. But... If you're taking a list that you haven't particularly toned, it's just models that you own and you've put together, just go with that expectation of don't expect to necessarily win yeah. the whole tournament. And don't bring down the people who have. Yeah. But, and I suppose that's for the whole thing about well, bringing it back to filth per se. Like more air quotes being thrown around. More air quotes. Um, yeah, it has that negative connotation. It's, it's been a word that's been thrown around for years, though. It hasn't always had that negative connotation. But, um, but 
I would say more just competitive, honed, toned, polished, any of those sorts of words are probably more, pro- more appropriate, I guess. Because just going back to the Stormcast and the Clan Scryer list for as using, uh, using our examples, um, that's the teleporting armies, the tunneling armies, that's just how that army works. Yeah. It's, um... I mean, Stormcast. Yeah. I'm actually very weak without the teleporting. Yeah. If you start a Stormcast army all on the table and you just try and play it as a normal army against another normal army, you'll struggle. Hmm. Because actually, points to wounds and effectiveness and armor saves and bravery all and battle shot resilience, all of those things combined, Stormcast actually struggle. The strength of that army comes from their ability to teleport, which is yeah. why all of their formations and battalions and things, most of them revolve around giving yeah. you that movement and the teleportation to plan your strikes yeah. and just focus portions of your army on certain targets and take yeah. them out. It's the army's characteristic and how it works. Because like, even in the fluff, that's how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love with the, the new things of doing that. And that's also why I think, again, there isn't, there isn't really filth anymore because there are so many different strong things you can do. Like yeah. Beast Claw Raiders are really strong with their like multiple thunder tusks oh, and amazing. stone horns. Amazing, yeah. But then they can't compete on model. They can't compete on model count. So yeah. again, in certain scenarios, they really struggle. Sylvaneth, they've got teleporting. Their wildwoods are really strong. Yeah. Clan Scryer, they've got their tunneling up or their yeah. mortal wound output. So, so as soon as you have lots and lots and lots and lots of different mm. really strong builds, yeah. in my mind, nothing becomes filth. Yeah. Because well, I suppose like even like death with their summoning abilities. Use summoning use property properly is is their gimmick, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that have access to summoning now, but things like fleshy at courts, for example, hmm. because they they don't break it, but they have a different summoning mechanic where actually they do get free models. Because yeah. when their models come back, you don't have to pay reinforcement points. Acropolis knights. So yeah, things like that, <laughs> those sorts of things, they're very yeah. strong. But yeah. I'm not going to call them filth. If I play against someone that brings a unit of six Necropolis Knights, yes, I know they're very efficient, to coin Warhammer TV's Rob's favourite word for filth at the moment. Super great. Efficient. Um, They are very efficient for their points, but I can deal with them. I know how to kill them. As long as I take a list that can deal with it, they're fine. And again, it all just comes back to more taking the onus on yourself and what your list can do I would say is just look at your list before you start throwing around words like filth and things like that because yeah. some people will be negatively affected by that if you come out of a game and just call their army filth and write write them off as a filth player or something like that. It it doesn't have good co- like good connotations for a game that has become yeah. much friendlier. We don't need to go back to kind of that that yeah, area. Exactly, I think yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, cool. So yeah, we just thought that might be good to to kind of chat about and get out in the air as we were we're sitting in the room afterwards and thought that was probably quite a good chat. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that and we'll see you in the next section. Okay, so I think that brings us around to our last section and we thought we'd just do with a new year. We'd talk about some, I guess, New Year's resolutions for um, the hobby. So James, I'll let you kind of kick off. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, for this year, I've got a couple of goals in mind, like um, like with painting. Uh, I've, I've been painting for a while now. I really enjoy it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm all right at it. Like I'm better than some, not as good as others, of course, but um, I take pride in my painting and I'm always trying to um, work out new techniques and ways to improve my hobby. So I'm 
a goal for this year for me is I want to really start working on um, non-metallic metal technique. See if I can take it up another level um, this year. So that's going to be something I start um, experimenting with um, on practice models and things like that. So that's probably going to be my main goal for this year. Work's going to be getting in the way a lot uh, for me personally, in, my in the way of hobby. Um, so I'll keep it as a, as a realistic goal for over the whole year. Um, I've got a lot of terrain to paint. So I've got a Skull Keep, Mage Wrath Throne, Bowen Vortex, Ophidian Archway, um, Numinous Oculum. <laughs> so I've got them sitting in, in the wings, um, waiting to be assembled and, um, and constructed. So that's definitely uh, a resolution for this year to get all my terrain painted. So do more terrain rather than models and stuff. Yeah, like, well, I've got, also, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I've got Nagash um, is... He is uh, waiting to be assembled. Um, I was intending to try and get him done in time for CanCon, but um, I don't think that'll happen at anymore. But um, after recently getting the Coven Throne done, and I've almost finished Netherata, so um, my Death Army, I think I'm going to continue with my Death Army for now. But um, I think after CanCon, the next army I'm going to look at doing is um, either Stormcast, because I... Just recently acquired the starter box, um, half of the um, Age of Sigma uh, box. Yep. And um, I've also managed to get a hold, hold of the Spire of Dawn box. So there's some elves and some Skaven as well. So I'm probably just going to branch out a bit, I think, once I'm sort of happy with my with my death army. I've still got a lot of... I've still got Black Knights and um, Graveguard sitting on my table, undercoated, another three Vargeists. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a few other characters and things I'd like to get painted. Um, you know, another Can Wraith. Um, so is this, is this a, a resolution vampire to paint Lord. all of this? Yeah, I want to try and get everything painted. Like, why not? Like, I, I oh, it's, it'd be awesome. Um, okay. Um, but I think I'll probably break it up a bit. Um, I, I tend to sort of go down a certain path for a bit and then I'll, I'll get interested in something else. And I've got enough models at home now to sort of satisfy my, my itch. Unless they bring out a Soul Blight. Battle time, which which means that just changed my direction completely <laughs> again. Okay. So it all yeah, it's it, as it's dependent on um on the release schedule for this year. <laughs> yeah. As well, so 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 your main resolution really is to learn and practice non-metallic metal. Yes. And from my painting and hobbies perspective, and, and to focus yeah. a bit more on scenery. But you still, it sounds like you're still going to stick with death. So there's no yeah. kind of. There's no resolutions to do a new army or anything like that. No, because like, yeah, as, as I mentioned, like with work, I'm going to be away a lot this year, so um, unable to do as much hobby as I would normally. So um, I just yeah, have to keep enough. it realistic and keep it a bit smaller for now. But yeah, do the best I can. Cool. Um, I think for me, my main hobby resolution this year is I want to try and paint two armies this year because I don't paint a lot. I don't paint very quickly, and I don't paint much. Um, so. I'm not. I'm not going to count my stormcast. They need to just be finished, and I have loads of them. But I want to paint two full armies that I can play with this year. Um, the first one is going to be Sylvaneth, um, which I'm hoping to do quite quickly. Um, I bought myself an airbrush after Christmas, which I've never used, but it's something I've wanted to do for quite a long time. So I thought, New Year, I'm going to try. I want an airbrush, and I want. I think it will help me paint armies a lot quicker. Um, everyone always spouts the kind of pros of airbrushes mainly as being a tool for speed for hobbying. Um, and I've 
in my head, I've thought through a way I can paint my silver neck pretty much purely with the airbrush, maybe a bit of brush work just to do washes and dry brushing. But other than that, it would pretty much be fully airbrushed. Um, and I think I should be able to do that quite quickly. Um, I'll certainly be able to learn how they work quite easily just by doing the base coating of the brown, not needing to be neat or anything like that. So I'm thinking it should be okay. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it for once. I don't normally... I really don't paint much. I've been painting a lot more these last kind of couple of years since I moved over here. But um, this year in particular, my hobby in terms of, and I don't just mean hobby as in painting and modelling. I mean the entire hobby of Age of Sigmar. My hobby resolutions this year are much more focused on the painting side mm -hmm. um, rather than the gaming side this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to I wanna paint two full armies. The first one will definitely be Sylvaneth. The second one... I have an idea in mind. Um, I've got a lot of Bloodbound recently, and I I like the idea of doing a very heavy Bloodbound kind of corn army. It would be a mixed corn army, but mostly Bloodbound. Yeah. But it's a lot of models, um, and it's not necessarily an army that would lend itself much to airbrushing. Um, and there's also lots of other things I want to do. Um, Nurgle and Beast Claw Raiders are on my radar. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse the pun. That's, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> For that, so I'm not quite sure what the second one will be, but yeah, my resolution this year is by yeah thirty first of December twenty seventeen. I will have two painted armies that are not stormcast. It's definitely achievable, man. So so I guess hopefully this time next year we'll check in and see see whether I achieve that or not. Um, <laughs> I think you'll be right. I think you'll be surprised. You might get a third army out. You never know. Oh, that would be pushing it, knowing me um, and how <laughs> slow and unproductive I am. But, um, but yeah, who knows? We'll see. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to it anyway. So, yeah, um, I think that pretty much rounds us up kind of for this first podcast. So we're going to play you out now to our outro song, which um, we hope you enjoy. Um, it's something that I stumbled across on the Internet that I heard and just thought, what is this? This, I swear this was written for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, listen to the lyrics. It's the just, lyrics yeah. are just perfect. Basically, when you listen to this song, listen to the lyrics and picture this is Sigmar chilling out on his weekends in his kind of electro... His electro lounge. His electro lounge <laughs> with his band. And uh, this is his this is his demo track, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy. It's like it as the much. soundtrack for the the Realm Gate Walls. Walls it, pretty much. It really is, <laughs> and it features maybe a little a little line to our everyone's favorite favorite lizard. Um, so yeah, just listen out for it, and yeah, we hope it makes you laugh and you enjoy it as much as we do. So yeah, thanks for listening to episode one, and hopefully it won't be too long before episode two. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Bye.
Scar is still filth. <laughs> Such a hypocrite. <laughs>